research that resonates. Schweitzer has not been wrong on any of his years and years of reporting on the Bidens. Investigations that matter. If your last name wasn't Biden, do you think you would have been asked to be on the board of Burisma? I don't know. I don't know. Probably not. But that's, you know, I, I don't think that there's a lot of things that would have happened in my life that, uh, that if my last name wasn't Biden. The only entities, the only people that would report on this, and Peter Schweitzer, who deserves a Medal of Freedom, in my view. This is The Drill Down with Peter Schweitzer. Hi, this is Peter Schweitzer, and welcome to The Drill Down, where we relentlessly expose cronyism, corruption, and the abuse of power. And I'm joined always by Eric Eggers, author and vice president of the Government Accountability Institute. And we're going to take on a big subject today, and that is big tech. Big tech is increasingly the lens through which we try to figure out what's going on in the world. It's where we get our news and our information. It flows through these portals, and they have a virtual monopoly. A nice job uh, employing the pun there with virtual. Yeah, but thank you. Thank but it's, you. It's correct. As fun as your uh, play on words is. The actual prospect of the impact on American lives is terrifying. Exactly. Uh, you know, we did a film a few years ago called The Creepy Line, which we've referenced in previous podcasts. And the concept behind it is, is that these companies like Google, Facebook, the big tech oligarchs, they actively manipulate American behavior by shaping not only what we see, but why we, we don't see. Right. It's censorship that's unknown to people. And uh, I'm excited for today's guest, who I think has also done quite a bit of work on this and can talk about its impact on American life today. That's exactly right. I mean, we've got joining us a terrific guest. Uh, most of the people that do commentary uh, in uh, America today sort of fall into one of two categories. Either they break the news because of excellent reporting or they're analysts who react to events as they unfold. Rarely do you find someone who does both. Uh, but we've actually got that today with Alex Marlowe, the editor in chief at Breitbart and the host of Breitbart News Daily on Sirius XM Radio. Uh, Alex is the author of Breaking the News which was a New York Times bestseller that also actually literally broke a lot of news about corruption in the media involving big tech. He's a graduate of the University of California at Berkeley. <laughs> Alex, thanks so much for joining Sorry, us. Let's do that again. I've been trying not to sneeze for five minutes, so just keep going. <laughs> just, <laughs> All right. He's a graduate. Yeah. Uh, he's a graduate of the University of California at Berkeley, and he joins us today. Alex, thanks so much for being here. Uh, Peter, great to be with you. Same to you, Eric. Uh, great. To, I've had you both on my shows uh, so many times, and it's great to be on yours. And I have to say, I am a listener, and I've been really enjoying it. It's so informative and a breezy listen. But I did notice it seemed like you guys were favoring a lot of my competitors for your guests. So it's only fair <laughs> that I'm here, and I appreciate the back scratch. Well, I'd like to say that that was an accident, but it wasn't. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, and of course, the irony is I am a senior contributor to Breitbart, so uh, apparently I'm in trouble with the boss. Uh, we'll have to have a discussion no, about no, that not later. Not in trouble at all. I'm enjoying the show. I'm actually, I, I am a let's grow the pie type of guy. I wish every smart person could work for me, but I'm very realistic about that. So uh, I'm, I'm very happy to see conservative media breaking so many stories these days and so many smart people really guiding the culture from um, our industry. Well, that, that's right, Alex. Um, and I wanted to talk today about big tech by looking at two stories. I think these are opposite ends uh, of the, uh, the sort of the news cycle. One of them is really a local story that the nation's paying attention to. And that, of course, is the uh, Kyle Rittenhouse trial taking place in Kenosha, Wisconsin. But I also want to talk a little bit later about the continuing media coverage of China as it relates to COVID uh, and the fact that, as you've pointed out in your book, there are these massive 
massive entanglements uh, that exist between corporate media, big tech, and their their commercial ties in China, which I hope we're going to be able to discuss how that has essentially prevented them from asking the real tough questions about uh, the China coverage and COVID in particular. So let's start with Kyle Rittenhouse. Uh, he certainly is uh, uh, is in the news today, 17 years old at the time. Uh, you had this confrontation uh, and what I would regard as self-defense uh, the shootings that took place in Kenosha. But it turns out that Facebook and big media has sort of been putting their thumb on the scale. Uh, they block searches of Kyle Rittenhouse. Uh, they've also specifically blocked, quote, praise and support for him on the site. Uh, and they prevented links... Um, that could allow people to contribute to his legal representation uh, taking place. And the question I have for you, Alex, is uh, how bad is this in the sense of not just the media cycle, but also the potential effects on the trial? If people are consuming social media and they're only hearing one side of the equation, it seems to me that's a major problem when it comes to actually getting a fair trial in America today. I think you're 100% correct on this, that what changes hearts and minds, aside from maybe what you talk about around your dinner table, than what you're reading on social media, because social media just controls so much of the news. Uh, they're, they're virtually synonyms for one another at this point in time. So if you've got, for example, Facebook that is censoring content that is pro-Kyle Rittenhouse, uh, then not only does that potentially change the hearts and minds of jury pools who are already getting influenced by the culture in so many ways, so many of them are probably in fear of riots, maybe getting targeted personally, um, but it's also the social media companies are so big that they're actually leaders in the culture. Um, the most offensive thing of all in terms of all the censorship of the pro-Rittenhouse content was what GoFundMe did. Uh, GoFundMe banned all fundraisers in support support of Kyle Rittenhouse, who now we look back at retrospect and it looks pretty clear cut that he's uh, he's innocent. And in fact, they already dropped the gun charge as we're having this conversation, which was the, the only charge I thought even had a chance, uh, unless, of course, there's some sort of uh, a hung jury because there's some politicized member of the jury pool. But it is uh, that leadership that is that big tech has that trickles down into the rest of society, that people start believing a narrative versus the truth because they don't let the facts uh, rise to the top. They don't let the content even that the consumers of a product like Facebook want to read uh, get shared at the same level as the content the Silicon Valley masters of the universe want promoted. It's such a great point. And to to speak to the, the double standard, like the two different narratives that can emerge from one set of events, we were talking in the office about the Rittenhouse trial and some of the things. And, and somebody said, hey, do you realize what were the races of the people that Kyle Rittenhouse shot? And, you know, because we've seen the coverage on Breitbart, we've seen some of these other things. Like they have, He's actually shot three white guys. But a profound majority of people apparently believe that one, if not all of the victims of the Rittenhouse trial were African-American. I mean, where does that come from? And what does that say about the narrative and like the, the agenda behind the narrative that's being pushed? Yeah, I would say this is a shock to me, but I am old enough to remember the Charlottesville hoax where we were told <laughs> that um, a, a, a one white guy killing one white woman was the greatest act of racism in the history of the country. <laughs> well, 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 now we have a white guy shows up at a Black Lives Matter riot and shoots three white guys. 
And that is the greatest act of racism. In fact, Joe Biden, who, by the way, called black children roaches in the year 2017. So this is relatively yeah. recently. He referred to black children as roaches. So not exactly a guy who was talking about the great Negro just last week. Uh, this is a guy who called Kyle Rittenhouse a white supremacist with no evidence. You think that might taint a jury pool as well? And that's the type of content that you're not going to get the Facebook fact checkers all over that. They're going to be all over, you know, Breitbart's global warming coverage, uh, but they're not going to be all over, you know, Joe Biden uh, lying and smearing uh, this this uh, person who was a child at the time. Yeah, I mean, what's remarkable to me about Facebook is they engage in this censorship uh, on Kyle Rittenhouse. And of course, as we're talking right now, we don't know the verdict uh, of the case. Uh, it's 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 pending. But their explanation was that they didn't want to publicize, quote, mass shooter events, end quote. So what they're basically doing is at the beginning, they're creating this moral equivalence between a guy who goes and shoots up a Walmart or a school and a guy like Kyle Rittenhouse, who I think the defense's argument is pretty compelling, was defending himself from violent attackers. They're creating all of those incidents as similar. Um, and, and the problem is, is they make these errors or they will sometimes apologize. I haven't in this case for making errors, but the errors always seem to favor the political left. Uh, th that's exactly right. And that is really the crucial theme of the book, Breaking the News, is just identifying, yeah. uh, among other crucial themes, but definitely top three, is just trying to come up with sort of a definitive compendium of all the fake news of the Trump era. And it is nearly 100%, if not 100%, all crafted to fit a left-wing, pro-globalist, anti-populist, anti-nationalist, anti-Trump narrative. And uh, this fits in right in with that. All the mistakes are in one direction. And what happens is those who make the mistakes, they end up just getting promoted to the, you know, the head of the CNN newsroom. I mean, they don't get – it's not just that there's no consequences. You actually get rewarded for getting stuff wrong so long as it serves this greater good. To me, the, the biggest takeaway, and I think it's so profoundly important, I encourage everyone to read your book because uh, it is a definitive compendium. I couldn't use such a multisyllabic phrase better. But um, <laughs> but what I would say is I think what it exposes is the relationships between the people that run these media outlets with other influences in a way that clearly leverages their ability to be objective and I think undoubtedly shapes the coverage that we see on any number of things. I mean, we're a long ways away from Edward Murrow saying, hey, we got to be careful putting a charismatic person in front of a right. camera because, you, you know, they might people be, might be more willing to trust him than somebody else. Uh, I mean, the way in which that the people that we trust to give us the news are sold out and leveraged is, I think, beyond belief. It is beyond belief. And the worst of the group is, of course, the Silicon Valley Masters of the Universe, which is where this discussion started. And let's take Facebook, for example. Uh, the Wall Street Journal put out a big article um, uh, ostensibly about Breitbart, but it was really about, uh, I think, some of the woke millennials inside of Facebook that are complaining that Breitbart thrives on their platform. And within the article, we learned a couple of key facts. It, one of them is that Facebook has cut down Breitbart's traffic about 20% due to algorithm changes that they made intentionally to penalize us because our content, which is very accurate and we obey all their rules, much, many of their rules are stupid, but we still obey, by, uh, obey them because it's their platform. And um, we are very popular in their platform. They deliberately cut down our traffic 20% because they didn't want our content shared. Uh, and second of all, they treat us like a second tier publisher, Whereas they pay 
other publishers to publish more of their content, and they feature their content more prominently in their news tab, which is a curated tab uh, that they have. And this is something that's it's outrageous on its face. Now consider that Breitbart is such a small operation, and we have a shoestring budget. The people that they're funding are multinational conglomerates, often with business ties to China, often with, with business ties that are on multiple continents uh, and have the and, and, and are backed by you know Wall Street. Uh, these are the companies that are getting handouts from Facebook. It, it's obviously this is clear corruption. Uh, and Breitbart, uh, I'll tell you this though, is that we're still doing so well, but that is not bad enough for the millennials within Facebook. It's not enough for us to be second tier. They want us to be zero tier. They want us to be off the platform entirely. And that was really the point of why this information got leaked is because they actually think we're still too strong, even though they're cutting down 20% of our business. Well, you guys clearly pose a threat, I think, to big tech for a variety of reasons, not the least of which is, is you're one of the few platforms that I think when news comes out about the actual dangers that social media has um, on the American public, right? You've seen the stuff about the impact of Instagram on teenage girls. We've seen the stories about the the rise in depression and things of that nature. I mean, these are things that like there's evidence to suggest that big tech poses an actual public health threat. But because of the force and the nature of the alliances that they have with not only other media conglomerates, but government officials, it seems highly unlikely that that information might actually ever lead to any sort of policy change unless the bright parts of the world help to elevate the story. Yeah, and we're seeing starting to see a revolving door of people going from uh, the big tech firms to the White House, obviously Democrat White Houses, and then uh, back. And uh, one of the worst offenders is Google. We're just is totally now we're in this revolving door uh, with Google executives. As you guys know, you guys uh, documented in, in the creepy line. I mean, it is now a total revolving door between the Biden Obama uh, uh, world in Washington and Google. And they all are, they marry um, uh, each other literally and figuratively. And that is what controls. (laughs) Yeah, it's true. And that's what controls so much of our information. And uh, it's a Google is totally censors Breitbart worse than even Facebook and Twitter, which is hard to imagine. And they all have international business ideas. Let's take Project Dragonfly, for example, which is that Google was literally working on a censored Chinese Internet, Um, that that this is a, a not a moral outrage to the entire country. And we all just accept it and go on is something that is a it's a it's a failure of the United States of America and it is incumbent on us who see see this in a clear-eyed way and don't have you know a a, a and don't have financial ties to Google to voice concerns about this on a constant basis. Yeah, I mean it's interesting when you talk about Google I, the the uh, sense of arrogance that they have, uh, you know, Project Dragonfly being an example, uh, they, they seem kind of oblivious to public opinion or pressure. Corporations today are so obsessed with what the general public thinks about them. They're afraid yeah. if a tweet is incorrect. Uh, Google just sort of confidently goes on as if they basically don't give a crap uh, what people think because they know how much power and how much influence they have. I think the, it's not that they don't care what people think. I think it's that they think that 
what they think is much better, right? Oh, they're, absolutely. They're morally Both. superior. Oh, absolutely. It's Beth and and sort of the great unwashed yeah. across the uh, the American plane. Don't know what they're talking about, but I, I want to pivot now and talk a little bit about um, some of the stuff that's in your book, um, Breaking the News, which I highly recommend. Oh, look at that! I'm actually on the front cover, uh, endorsing the book, Whoa. which I proudly did. <laughs> like, let me let me tell you, like 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 narcissistic Schweitzer is top five Schweitzer. Uh, yeah, no, I enjoy it. No, no, the, the, I, I have to say, uh, and, and I, I have to say, and I hope this is something that is exciting to the audience, to to your audience, is that the book would not have happened without Peter. Peter was absolutely integral wow. uh, to so many steps of the process, and uh, he's a very kind person with his time, and uh, he's not just a wise person. So, a wholehearted endorsement of Peter, and who who wholeheartedly endorses my book, which is why you should get multiple copies. Absolutely. No question about it. And what I love about it is, and and this is the reason that I endorsed it, by the way, I mean, we're friends and we work together, but what you do such a terrific job of is not just simply sort of critiquing uh, the media or explaining their coverage, uh, but you actually expose the corruption. And I think that, you know, we've talked about the Rittenhouse case, which is this sort of local incident that the nation's following. But if we look now at the global issue of China and COVID, here is this uh, story right. that the entire planet has been living through. Like calling uh, it a story seems reductive. Yeah, exactly. Right? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that we, we've had this, <laughs> this thing that's enveloped the entire planet. We've had millions of people that have died. And there's this big unanswered question that nobody in the media is answering or even trying to answer, which is how did this whole thing start? Um, to me, it would seem this this is the story, the, the great story that a journalist could break of the last 50 years to to sort of crack this nut about how the virus started, what happened in China, who was involved, who was at fault. And yet you look at all the big networks. Nobody, nobody is pursuing this story, Alex. I mean, it, it's it's stunning to me. Yeah, this is, I think, probably the centerpiece of the book, which you're identifying. So I'll try to sum yeah. up kind of the key findings. And I think I pieced together the narrative of why this happened and why the media airballed on COVID so much. And I also break some news um, in the process about a few of the biggest media moguls in, in the world who are American companies, allegedly, but are really subservient to China. And that's really the narrative here. Uh, I, l- let me explain by way of example. I, NBC is not NBC News. It's not MSNBC. It's not Joy Ann Reed. Uh, it's NBC Comcast Universal. It is a multinational right. conglomerate that makes Buku De Niro. I think I'm mixing expressions there, but that's okay. <laughs> well, definitely uh, mo- in, 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 mixing in, languages. Yeah, yeah. At least <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even sure what, what languages those are, but uh, you guys get the point. They 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 make a lot of money in China. Um, uh, pop quiz, gentlemen, uh, who owns ABC news? Disney, Disney, it's Disney. Uh, it's a, I think, by the way, I think the universal opened up a theme park in China during the pandemic. So to your point, yeah. Alex, like just in, people don't realize like, how, like when you say China, like how big China is, right? And like, why is yeah. LeBron so feel, you know, why is he so genuflective towards this? There are more basketball fans. There are more English speaking basketball fans in China than there are actual American citizens, right? Wow. I mean, like the economy of scale is insane. But so like, if that's true for basketball. It's true for people like movies. It's and people, Disney. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's true for everything. 
theme theme parks and movies and everything. Absolutely. Too bad that's not the case with a conservative talk radio and uh, and, and books. <laughs> <laughs> the Chinese I, I, audience. I, I, I get I get a kitchen remodel going right quick. That was the case. <laughs> I, I always knew Peter's business model was wrong, and you just confirmed it. <laughs> right. Have, you have a cho- you, so you just I'm going to go out on a limb here and guess you yeah. have not cho- sold the Chinese language rights to no. your book. No, I have not. I have not. So so okay. So so let me continue. So so the uh, ABC is ABC Disney. So there's two newsrooms that are not going to be interested in looking into the pandemic. Um, one of the biggest revelations of the book is to see just how intertwined Bloomberg is to yes, the Chinese yes. government. And uh, we even broke photos which had been unpublished other than deep on a Chinese government website of uh, Bloomberg executives routinely going to Chinese to meet with literal propagandists, the people who run the <laughs> Ministry of Propaganda. And it's yeah. Bloomberg himself and his top executives, and they seem to go every two years, which coincidentally is about the amount of time that Bloomberg gets their contracts to operate within China. Uh, okay, maybe not coincidentally. Maybe that's exactly the explanation <laughs> for it. And they come back with these sweetheart deals, and Bloomberg has the most access to the Chinese market of any American news outlet. Uh, and Bloomberg has publicly kissed the Chinese ring and Chinese behinds to a level that even the Chinese mock him for it. Um, and uh, Bloomberg is not just mini Mike, as Trump called him. Mini Mike. I mean, we, we love when Trump said that, but it's not real. He's worth $50 billion and he's got a monopoly in economic news. Um, the supervillain of the book is a lady named Lorreen Powell Jobs, who controls a lot of American uh, left-wing media, Axios and uh, The Atlantic magazine come to mind, uh, and many others are listed in the book. Uh, but she got all of her money because she's the widow of Steve Jobs, who not just invented Apple, but invented Pixar after Apple kind of kicked them out, then they invited him back. So Steve Jobs dies of cancer, and Lorreen Powell Jobs gets all uh, of, his, of his money, and she's got all this stock, one of the biggest stakeholders in Disney and Apple, which makes all of its products in China. And she controls so many crucial United States news outlets. So all of these are off the board. And what's more, guys, is that anyone who could potentially want to work in one of these places is not going to go out there and start banging indoors to figure out the origin of this pandemic. They're all discouraged from looking into it and to pushing this narrative that it was really the Trump virus and not the China virus. And uh, it it is, this is, this is the true story of why they wanted so badly for it to be the pangolin and not that lab. I love the John Stewart reference, by the way, it's one of my best. uh, I think it's one of the greatest things. And by the way, when John Stewart said that, right, he got canceled. And everybody's like, oh, my gosh, like, can we even believe this guy would would dare question the idea that it didn't come from the Chinese virology lab? But but to to your point, I mean, I think and since you're a listener, you'll get this. One of the themes that we've talked about in other episodes is big business, which you just outlined, right? The impact it has on American society. Big business loves big government and big government loves big business. So to me, it's like, yes. not just like, hey, how come no one's trying to find out? How come no one raises a problem about the fact that we can't find out because China's closed off to outside influences? You can't actually tell truths about unpleasant things that are happening in China because of the way that they run things. It's, you know, it's state controlled. But the big government's not going to raise it because they're in bed with the big business and big business, Correct. as you just noted, is in bed with China. Yeah. The, 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 I mean, that's important to point out here uh, uh, to your point is, you know, Disney and uh, uh, Comcast not only don't want to explore these issues with China, they are telling any administration or any politician that will listen not to press China on these issues because they don't want to have the, uh, the, the, the profits decline. Yeah. And think about all these social media conglomerates 
they're either in China or want to be in China, and they're trying to figure out a way to do it. So it is 365 or 360 degree uh, 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 with this industry. They don't want to look into it. They don't want China to be at fault. And I'm just wondering where the woke left is in all this, because China is the biggest polluter in the world. They literally have, have systemic racism. We always talk about yeah. America's systemic racism, <laughs> yeah. which we work so hard to get rid of it. And it's a China right. is right. trying to add systemic racism by the day, right. and no one seems to care. And this is something that I don't know how long this is sustainable. It's got to go one way or the other, which is just uh, Americans just we just have a post-truth society or people are going to wake up and realize uh, what a big threat China is, and they're already eating our lunch in so many ways. Yeah, not to be woke, but to really be awakened, uh, I I think, is the goal that we have here. So we've been talking with Alex Marlowe, the editor-in-chief at Breitbart. Uh, He is the author of a terrific book called Breaking the News. And as I said, somebody who really is able to transcend not just doing the analysis of what's going on, but actually breaks news with new content every day. And I just say, Alex, I think, you know, because we always sort of it's, it gets a little depressing sometimes on the drill down. Right. Mostly because Schweitzer is such a Eeyore. But the um, but I do think it's, I do think it's nothing but an opportunity for you because just to, to follow up on your point, like when where will the progressive left? Where will the world yeah. care? Well, if China continues to, to oppress human rights, right, with relying on slave labor and they continue to like actively pollute the world. Right. And Breitbart's the only person talking about it right or the only sort of genre of media outlet talking about it eventually people got to kind of find that right uh, i sure hope so but the problem is is that this is where facebook and google trying to censor our content and uh, twitter trying to keep our content in a, in a bubble which is their latest uh, tactic which is really quite clever is they keep it in a very small bubble so if you really want it you can find it but we're not reaching as many new people on those platforms um you know it takes word of mouth and we got to get back to those to people spreading the word to friends and family members boldly and bravely in the spirit of Andrew Breitbart and to get out there. And if you like, um, you know, this podcast, if you like what we're doing at Breitbart, um, you got to recommend it to people. By the way, I, I just launched a podcast too with Breitbart News Daily, which is our Sirius XM show, which both of you gentlemen have been on. Uh, that's now available wherever you get your podcast. So I hope people get that. But it's it's not enough just to be in private now. It's too late. So we got to speak yep. up and we got to be brave about it. Absolutely. And that was Alex's, uh, sorry, that was Andrew's spirit, Alex, that I know you and I were both so attracted to, which was you walked yes. toward the fire, not away from it. And you uh, can and do it in a nice way. Peter, Peter, you're the nicest guy I know. I, I try to only be mean to the people who really deserve it the, and, most, <laughs> right. and, and, and mostly just to get humor out of it. It's the, I usually right. understand what they're, what they're after, but it's the, we're doing, we're failing to fight as hard as the left and the globalists are at this point. They're trying to kick our butts in China. China is just completely just in another stratosphere in terms of how seriously uh, they, they take these issues. Yeah, the left is fighting hard and they've got very, very powerful friends. Well, you've been listening to The Drill Down. We've been joined by Alex Marlowe. I would commend to you to listen to his radio show. Go to Breitbart.com, uh, listen to his podcast, and of course, pick up his book, Breaking the News. Alex, thanks so much for joining us for this conversation about big tech and media in America today. Guys, it's been a lot more fun than listening to normal episodes. <laughs> That's not true. I, I, I love the show. Congrats. And I hope it gets bigger from here. Thanks, Alex. Thanks, Alex. If you're interested in other podcasts, you can find them on thedrilldown.com. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for joining us.